Well, hello everyone. My name is Yifong. Welcome to Watching Silent Films, where we pick a silent movie every week and uh, try to just talk about it conversationally. That's what we can do week in, week out. So, And with me are my co-hosts, Bob and Lily. Welcome, welcome. Welcome, everyone. Welcome. Hello. welcome. <laughs> Hello. Greetings and salutations, as I often say. I don't know where that comes from. That would be a good study. Side, sidetrack already. But <laughs> Did you say ahoy, everyone, when you started? I should have. I should have. That's no, what I, I thought you said. I said, no, oh, that's cute. No, I said uh, greetings and salutations, but I should okay. have said ahoy. Right. <laughs> Considering the film we're reviewing. Yes. Well, so this week, we're gonna our feature uh, review is going to be the Battleship Potemkin. And, uh, yeah, it's a big one. It's one of the... Uh, you know, greatest masterpieces of all time, you know. So, yeah, it'll be a real interesting take. Uh, before we get into that, I uh, just want to take a brief sort of uh, announcement of just, uh, or maybe not announcement, but just sort of talking about where, where we're at now um, in terms of what we've seen most recently. Um, have you guys had any chance to re watch or review any of the other classic realm movies recently not this week okay that's okay yeah not this week for me either but i did order the new nosferatu the one with the proper music so i haven't got a chance to see it yet they're spending money on it that means you're getting serious (laughs) (laughs) i usually been taking things out of the library or i have had uh owned a copy of it and uh fw Murno, i have Almost everything of his because I'm such a big fan, uh, except for the two movies I talked last week about that I didn't realize uh, had come to uh, disc or some sort of availability. It wasn't available when I was watching his stuff more than 20 years ago, or at least I knew of. But plus, there's YouTube nowadays. It's amazing. There's so like everything that you don't have access to. It's on YouTube now. Good, bad, or indifferent. <laughs> Um, and by the way, I did send you a link of the Nosferatu with the original score that is on YouTube. Yeah. But uh, the thing you'll get with the disc is uh, there's a behind-the-scenes bonus feature. And uh, you'll get, if you order the copy that I'm thinking of, because they've released Nosferatu multiple times. But they you, there's uh, a two-disc version uh, where one of the discs has english subtitles uh not subtitles intertitles meaning like you know when the movie cuts to like this writing of musings of the person right narrating essentially the the movie mm-hmm. um there's a copy of it that's in all german and then you have to read the english subtitles and there's a print of it where the whole thing is rendered in english <coughs> so you don't have to like read the subtitle translation of the print mm. that you're seeing so there's two discs. One copy of the movie is it totally in English, you know, artistically done, and then the yeah, other is, yeah. uh, well, meaning like you know the the artwork. It's very good artwork, you know, that when they when they um, kind of narrate the story, as it were, the the, the intertitles. It's like mm-hmm. a leaf of a page of a book. Right? Oh right. So that right, the yeah. artwork uh, was originally, if you saw the German copy, it's all German with English subtitles. Well, right, a, so not dubbed right the in, yeah the interlease yeah yeah intertitle so then then there's another uh so there's two copies of the movie one has just all german which is the original print obviously 
English subtitle. Have you ever seen a, a silent film done as a silent film that's actually been dubbed and had voices put in? That's actually happened to this one. Battleship no kidding. Duncan. Yep. So it, it's hmm. not common, but every now and then they'll try to do that. And, and what's your feeling on that? you feel like it destroys the nature of the film? Kind of. I yeah. mean, uh, as we'll get going when we talk about this movie, or last week, you remember that scene when uh, Nock was laughing maniacally? Mm. Well, if you actually mm-hmm. added that in, it's like, oh, okay, that's a little weird. Mm. <laughs> if, if you yeah. watched it, like, performed as the way it's supposed to be, but remember, going back to one of the first times we talked about this, is that these silent films are more about live performance. The optimal condition to watch silent films, the ideal, is that you're in a darkened theater and there's a live orchestra or somebody at piano or organ or some some sort of musical accompaniment. And as you're watching the feature, the music is washing over you in person live. Mm. If you guys have ever been to a concert, you know what I'm talking about. When you listen mm. to music live or, or, or a human being is performing it live, like in person, there's yeah. something unique about that experience that you can't Absolutely. possibly replicate yeah. at home. Absolutely. Right? So there's something with that and also audiences sitting there. And so that's the way silent films are supposed to be enjoyed. Now we can, you know, watch it on YouTube. We can watch it at home. We can watch it on mobile. And, you know, it's actually, yeah. well, I don't want to sidetrack this too much, but most recently, you know, um, Martin Scorsese, we're in 2019 now, the posterity of this podcast. <laughs> and uh, most recently, he posted this op-ed, I think, on New York Times, talking about uh, preserving sort of the cinematic experience. And that he kind of defines his ex- his version of what cinema is compared to the Marvel movies, which is like what he says it's kind of like a uh, a theme park. But like when you watch the Marvel movie, it's like a it's all like packaged, and there's no surprises. There's nothing new there. That's true. There's not a lot mm-hmm. of risk, and that's his op-ed. And of course. It, it's such a in the in current in movie entertainment uh, realm. It's a big sort of conversation piece because you know on one hand he's kind of right, and on, on the other you have these Marvel people. If you really think about it, a lot of these actors in Marvel have done a lot of independent movies. Like it, they don't only just do Marvel movies. Clearly, <laughs> right? mm-hmm. which you know, obviously pays the rent and pays the bills. But these like Robert Downey and. Uh, even Sam L and all these big stars, right? Brie Larson, all these massive uh, Marvel stars, they themselves uh, come, a lot of them come from the indie world and they know what cinema is and they, they participate in this uh, sacred ritual, right? Of cinema, the way that Scorsese has defined it, right? You know what I mean? Yeah. So it's like, it's, it's so interesting. And Kevin Feige, who leads this Marvel sort of universe now, well, I don't know if you guys know a lot about him, but he was, uh, I've heard him on this uh, podcast with uh, Leonard Malton. Malton's, um, I think it's just uh, Malton's on movies or something. It's a podcast to talk about movies and the, and the people in the industry, indies or Hollywood, doesn't matter. And so uh, Leonard Malton currently teaches at, I, got, I think it's USC. I, I can never get the, the two right. You see how her USC. So he teaches in one of those film schools, and Kevin Feige graduated from there. Uh, not under his professorship, but like maybe long ago. And he would actually often visit his class and bring movies. 
And if you hear him talk, and I, ha I have on this podcast, you clearly, like, he watches these silent movies, like Kevin Feige, hmm. in classic films. Like, people who go to film schools, they know all these movies. They know right. all these tropes, just mm -hmm. like Bob, and, and you know, and like, it, they, they've seen so many movies, and they know all these things. So when they're making these Marvel movies, a lot of these movies are actually paying homage to the old movies, okay. you know, sometimes. Absolutely. Like the... Um, Captain America, uh, uh, not Civil War, but The Winter Soldier, for example, is a classic, like, spy espionage movie, right? Hmm. Um, yeah, Winter Soldier is so good. <laughs> well, because part of it is because, they hi first of all, they hired, uh, this is totally sidetracked now. <laughs> I know, we're sidetracking. <laughs> so there's their point to this. I'm getting, the, there's a point relating to this actual specific movie. But, um, so the reason they hired this, this uh, Robert Redford because Robert Redford has been long, long a staple of old classic espionage movies. Just his presence alone in that movie takes it into the another realm of like film quality of what they call cinema that you know maybe they didn't used to, I guess. So, anyways, that's that's a sort of sidetrack now. But the point I'm trying to make is that when you watch this, you know, uh, including Bowser Potemkin or silent films, you're supposed to watch this in the cinema, right? And going back to Nosferatu, like, you know, if you're just enjoying the home, at home, it's okay. It's not, like, you know, a bad thing because sometimes that's the only means to watch it, you know. And that's why, like, sometimes I'll send you guys links of performances here and there because I've been to a number of these and there's just – there's truly nothing like it, you know. Mm. And I, I don't have a lot of time resource <laughs> these days to go in every time. But uh, if you have the, the, the time and the availability to do that, but I highly recommend it. Uh, there's just, it's a, you kind of step through a, a, a threshold of, you know, what do you think cinema is? And then you're like, wow, this is amazing, you know? That answer, I, hopefully that answers some of the question that you had about the uh, dubbing and voices and stuff like that. <clears throat> when you try to watch that in the theaters, it really, it, it's meant, the experience is meant for something else but not right. like voice dubbed, you know. Exactly. It becomes more like a cartoon, actually. So it's a little weird. Yeah. It's doing things that you almost don't want the silent films to do. And yet, sometimes, the creators of the the movies actually will do that themselves. So, try to mess it up. They kind of have what, what's called George Lucas it, right? <laughs> so, <laughs> but anyway. All right. That should be a sidetrack for now. Um, so... Um, Without further ado, we'll uh, kind of get into it. So, Battleship Potemkin. Um, I'm just going to read the summary, I guess, um, of uh, the movie rather than trying to have us try to summarize it. Mm -hmm. Okay. Uh, let me try to pull this up somewhere. I don't know. Let's do another one. On a scale of 1 to 10, how did we like it? I'd give it, like, a good seven. I was going to give a plot summary first before we get started. So the short plot <laughs> summary is, in the midst of the Russian Revolution of 1905, a crew of the battleship Potemkin mutiny against the brutal, tyrannical regime of the vessel's officers. The resulting street demonstration in Odessa brings on a police massacre. Well, that's just pretty good. I mean, That's a good summary. Well, IMDb is really good about that. That's why I just read their short summaries. <laughs> They got multiple versions sometimes. Anyways, so that's the plot. That's a movie directed by 
uh, Sergey or Sergey uh, Eisenstein. Sergey. Sergey, I guess. Yes. Sergey. And uh, back in uh, 1925. Hmm, 1925. Yep. Yep. And that's uh, kind of relevant to uh, this. And uh, anyways, go. So go back to Lily. One, one to ten, ten being like the best. Would you say? I gave it like between a seven and an eight. Hmm. Definitely. <laughs> This is the first time we're, we're, we're putting numbers on it. I don't think we've I ever done it. I gave it a nine. That. Yeah? Yeah. I very, I very much liked it very much, yeah. Yeah, I don't know what number Even I would give it. Even with your numbers. <laughs> <laughs> it's so hard for me to, to give numbers because if I give this like a nine or ten, I, I don't know what I would mm. give my give favorite movie. I give it an eight movie. to nine. Eight to nine, anyway. I yeah. don't know what I would give to like one of my favorite movies of all time, which is... Uh, it has to be a ten. You know, Seven <laughs> Samurai or something. Or, it has or, to be a ten. You know what, what I mean? else can you give it if you say it's your favorite? What else can you give it? But you know, I mean, it's it's so hard to scale those things. It's really My favorite hard. is a six. My favorite movie of all time is a six. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> might be. It might be like without a paddle or something. You know. <laughs> so there's a there is a lot of discussion on this film. Actually, there, are, there I, are. I have a few points that I'd love to throw in when we get to the appropriate point to throw them in. Yeah, absolutely. Um, well, I, I, I really don't the have a number. We, the I, last I, ones we... Oh, sorry. Yeah, I, it's so hard for me to say what number it is. I, I can't really decide. I mean, <laughs> I'm going to cheat and say maybe it's like between 7 and 9. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. That's kind of a way out. I, the way I think about it is that an average film, a film that, you know, like the 1950s Western serials that came out almost every week, you know, were run-of-the-mill sort of average films weren't bad, weren't great. I give them the five to six, you know. And movies that I'll go back and watch from time to time, I give like a seven or eight. And this one I will definitely go back to time and time again and watch. Yeah, I, so I have to give it above an eight, you know. Yeah, I don't. I don't really. That's why I don't really. We haven't really uh, done numbers or grades or something like that. It's just because. Lily's a trendsetter. Yeah, woohoo! I just, it, it, it's, it's just like I'll spend so much time with that. You know what I mean? So <laughs> another distraction. Yeah, I know. It's just, <laughs> it's, there's too many rabbit trails already, and I'm like, oh, all right. Yeah. So, uh, so that's my number, I guess. Kind of cheating a bit. I don't. I, it's really tough for me to give numbers or grades or like or anything like that. Um, so, do you want to go through this chronologically, like you've done with the other films? I actually would would like to start with the context because okay. uh, I don't know if I say this enough, but one of the things that uh, I, I like to kind of look at uh, a piece of work or art in the entertainment world, such as uh, a movie, uh, I often place the movie in the context. In this movie, more so than any of the other movies we've had so far, um, it makes more sense to know about the historic context right. before getting into it because the movie itself is based on a real-life event. Right. <laughs> so, um, what do you guys know of Russian history? This is not too much of a rabbit trail. It, it should be real brief. Um, it's not very good. I know it's bloody. Right. Yeah, I don't know much about um, 
the people were very hungry led to the Russian Revolution, uh, the Bolsheviks and the proletariat because the, it was the classic case of the wealthy, um, the divide between the wealthy and the poor. And very much like the French Revolution for the very similar reason. Yeah, but the problem mm. with that is that if you look at history, there's always revolutions and there's always uprisings and there's always like it, it's kind of ebb and flow of all history. You mm -hmm. know, back to but the French Revolution and, and the Russian Revolution are particular ones in history. Yeah, but how, which one? Because there's so many, right? Oh, years. I see what you're saying. <laughs> it's not like oh, there's there's just the single revolution and that's it, right? Most of the time, the turn of the right? century, the Russian Revolution at the turn of the century is usually the one, when you say the Russian Revolution, I think that's what people are talking about, yeah, is, is the one. That... <laughs> so, okay. So, anyways, so you know, so this this is a really complex topic only because uh, I, I, I like to think I'm a fan of history. The reality is I don't remember a lot of history. Mm. Yeah, I same. Remember, I remember taking those classes in school, and but if you were to test me on things, I don't remember like like the details, right? Um, I know the like the rough uh, survey, like the rough, you know, scope of it. But you know, honestly, I don't remember studying Russian history at all. I mean, it was the only thing it may have come into power is like into play is probably like the. Gorbachev and you know modern history I would say right and, and the Berlin Wall and how it came down that's probably like although I lived through that but the point is that's kind of like the most recent thing and then before that uh, how the the uh, Soviet Union and for the communist part maybe maybe I've had tests on that but before that I, I honestly don't remember a lick of it so for the purpose yeah. of this movie. Well, this is this is referring to the Russian Revolution of uh, the early nineteen uh, twenties. Right. Um, it was made right after it, and I think it was showing one of the elements that led to it. Yeah. So, so, anyways, the point I was trying to make was, I for the purpose of this uh, movie, I was like, well, now's. Every time I've had a Russian movie in the past, like silent movie, I'm like, or, well, Russian movies in general, and sometimes the movies are, uh, what's the word, propaganda movies. And the propaganda movie, and this is certainly one of them, <laughs> if it's a propaganda movie, it's so hard to watch it in, as is. Like, if you watch a propaganda movie and you don't understand the historic context of the propaganda movie, it makes no sense. Does that make sense? Like, if I yeah. watch this and I don't know, and I didn't, like, a long time ago, I didn't know anything about the Russian history. I'm like, well, it's interesting technically. I could see, like, uh, Sergei Einstein's technique, the, the technical prowess is, is there. But I don't understand, and certainly I understand the propaganda movie, but I don't understand, like, you know, other than, you know, the uh, that the oppressed, you know, needs to rise up and take over like that it, but that's a very universal theme right and i think that's what internationally the audiences respond to but i would like to know what the historic specifics are like why is that like what are the details of that you know what i mean and that's how my brain works is like i, I don't need to know all the history but i need to know some of the history does that make sense yeah i mean yeah 
movies help us to understand history in a very visual way. Exactly. As long as the viewers are critical of the interpretation of whoever's presenting that. That is, it's not always accurate. Of course. To to, rack, to actual history. So you've really got to do a little more homework than to watch movies for the history. Yeah. Although it's great for bringing it to mind. Yeah, you know? absolutely. That's the point. Is like, Every time I've touched upon uh, Russian films, I'm like, oh, I wish I knew more about it. And I still don't know a lot about it. But I took this time to actually read a lot of, uh, not just wikis, but some of the brief overviews. It, it's a massive history, right? Obviously, mm -hmm. like any history. And it's just full of, it, it's just messy, one thing after the other. Yeah. And so, yeah. prior to... So this movie, Battleship Tentkin, is based on a real event that happened in uh, 1905. Yeah. And in 1905, um, prior to that, uh, that's kind of the context I want to set, is what's happening prior to 1905 and why it got into that state. I think that's what I want to focus on. So prior to 1905, there's been just a long history of sort of the Russian sort of empire, I guess. Um, which means you got like monarchies, you know, Tsars right. and, you know, uh, which Tsars is, I guess, is the, the title for like kings and queens and stuff like that, right? Mm -hmm. Tsar, yeah. For, Tsar for, 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 the, for the Russian Empire. And so you've yep. got multiple people throughout history, like Peter the Great, all these the greats. There's many of the greats. Catherine the Great. <laughs> you know? And then you've got like multiple Alexanders, one, two. And throughout all of those monarchies, you've got many, many uprisings and also revolutions and discontent you know when mm. when you have a natural uh fiefdom like that whole monarchy and of course the, this is also european history as well you you tend you know they have to tax somebody to take the money to make themselves well off and often mm. it's the peasants who get the brunt of it yep. and then once they get they don't they can't take any more of the uprising and stuff like that so of course this happened to them too multiple times over the years right and so it's been probably three, two or three hundred years uh, from like the 1700s, I think. Well, really, post, so, well, we don't want to go back too far, but uh, the Mongol invasion really uh, screwed up Russia, I think, before that. But after that, they kind of uh, became the, the Russia empire in terms of the monarchical sort of ar architecture. And since that time, uh, you know, there's more details beyond that, but that's that's as much as I'll get into. So there's a lot of uh, multiple, you know, rulers and monarchy and stuff like that. And over the years, uh, I think the peasants have had this pent up, uh, just frustration Discontent. of yeah. economic mm -hmm. sort of, um, you know, they're poor. They they don't have. They're hungry. They don't have. There's no way to get just quality of life, you know, any basic quality of life, unless you leave Russia, which many did. But if you decide to continue to live in, in the empire and there's no way out, then the only <coughs> other method is to say, look, we need to do better. And like, and they look to the other greener side or greener grass or something like that. And they see like all these monarchs and people in power having the haves and they're going to have nots, and they're like, oh, this is, like, not fair, right? And so that's the unrest that's happening prior to the 1905 
it lasted a couple of years. And certainly the battleship Potemkin mutiny uh, on the ship, the real life ship, happened because it was part of this um, pent up, I think, um, sort of anger from the people. Mm -hmm. that, yeah. that, and th and that th that's relevant to kind of the, the movie as well, because yeah. if you go back into the real life history, that's what happened is they just lost this war with Japan, the Russo-Japanese War in, in, in a couple of years before 1905, and the Black Sea Fleet, most of it was lost. And it was just discouraging. And on top of that, um, now they're just asked to do more. And it's just like the people on the ship you know, heard news of what's happening throughout the rest of the country with the unrest, and they're like, enough is enough. We need to take control of this. And, and one of the specific ways is that, that meat story in the, uh, in the movie. That was the real thing, too. You know, there's so many details in the movie that when you compare against the historic event, it's like, wow, it's kind of, it's not exactly done, you know, one-to-one, uh, -one, as it were, but it was, it was pretty close. I was kind of like, wow, I've, I've seen this movie before, but I didn't realize how, and I, I never really researched it. But I didn't realize how close it was to the real life history. <laughs> so, what do you what do you think, Bob? What do you think of that historic context? I think it's played? very well illustrated. Yeah, yeah. I think that I, I think you're right on the money. The, the, um, the, the, there was a there was there was a lot of unrest prior to uh, the the 1920s Russian Revolution, and the, this was right on the money with illustrating one of the um, catalysts. Well, the biggest one is the Revolution of the October Revolution. That's the one that really uh, finished off the monarchy, essentially. I October... Think, uh, revolution... 1917? 1917, right. Yeah, that's the one... I, it was either that one or the one... That I finished off the monarchy, you're right. Yeah, that's the one where they executed some of her or something like that. I can't remember which... It was either that or the... The, the one Romanov that, family. Yeah, exactly. So, so that's like, like they got so fed up with it that by 1917 or around that era, they executed them. <laughs> so, yep. Is that Anastasia's family? Is that what I, that was? That's where, yes, that's the, yeah. that's where oh, okay. the, what, what's the, what's the story that they made a Disney movie of it? Uh... You bought Anastasia, the movie? That Anastasia, was, you, you, that's it, yeah, exactly. Well, that's Fox, I think that was Fox or something. That wasn't... Uh, yeah, that Disney. wasn't Disney. <laughs> oh, okay. Yeah. But anyways. Um, but I was yes. just thinking if that was a family. Yes, it was. It was, yeah. Oof. Yeah, but but the point is, that that's the kind of context behind it, is that this the historic context is that the 1905 unrest uh, was the, the precursor or the prequel yeah. to the 1917 revolution, ultimately. That, yeah. that really uh, changed so much. It, it really uh, alt permanently altered the, the, the Russia, you know. So mm. for, for, for almost like hundreds of years, you know. The, the era that was in was only two or three hundred era, the, the Russian Empire. But before that, they had even a couple more hundred more years of all, all the way back to 1200, I think. So it was about eight, 800 years worth of sort of long-suffering, pent-up sort of aggression. And I think that's that's the context in which the, we come into this movie. Is like, uh, it's not just like a, a meat event, <laughs> rotten meat. It's not just the fact that they were uh, treated 
uh, unfairly for one thing or another. It's this, it's this notion that the people, as a, as a Russian people, uh, has just been so long-suffering uh, that they finally want to take the future into their hands and do something about it. And that's the context in which we set before this movie starts. Right? Hmm. Yeah. It's yeah, it's interesting. Because I think, one, especially movies that are either propaganda and, and set in real historic like events like this, knowing that allows us to kind of understand uh, the purpose of what uh, the director is doing, the makers, the filmmakers, and what they're intending to communicate in the film, right? Like I said, if I didn't know all of this context and I just watched the movie, I would have been like, it's a really good like, technical movie. And I think I thought that way, actually. The first time I watched it, I was like, oh, it's real good technically. And, and you know, the montage and is, is right on. I just didn't know anything else. <laughs> mm-hmm. I, I, back then, I, I remember asking uh, a friend I had I went to high school with who's Russian. It's like, what do you think about this? And it was just, I mean, he even he himself who knew the history was like, oh, Russian history, man. Don't make me tell you about it. <laughs> He's, he was basically like, you know, mm-hmm. what, what, which era doesn't have revolution? There's still revolution now. Right. Like every, mm-hmm. every few years, there is one. <laughs> and then and I think it's the same too with the, the French friends I know. You but anyways. Have a revolution. <laughs> yeah, it just keeps going. <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. it, it's never ending. Um, anyway, so with that context in mind, um, I think we can uh, move into the movie proper. Um, yeah, I, I, we can uh, go through it chronologically, or, or we can just kind of pick out sort of the highlights, the things that uh, impacted you the most. It's up to you guys. What What do you guys wanna? How do you guys wanna attack this elephant, as it were? Any, anything on your mind, Italy? I mean, oh, the main scene is the Odessa steps. That's Absolutely. the biggest mm-hmm. impact big on one. me. Yeah. For the rest of the film, it's just kind of you know war drama so i mean i guess we you know same thing i guess we could go chronologically but impactfulness that's the most you know that's the biggest scene that we can talk about i read that that scene um was the direct um um, inspiration for the scene in the untouchables oh yeah yeah the sean connery movie right yeah Hmm. and yeah you can see it. I mean, it's obvious. Who who is the director of that? My my brain is fading. What who's who's the uh um, He's he's um he's kinda like the Hitchcock wannabe guy. What another one? <laughs> I know, I don't know that movie. That's you don't know that movie. That's an eighties uh I've I mean I've heard of it but I don't know much about it. It's got uh Brian De Palma. I found him. That's oh, him. De Palma. Yeah, so he's like a... Ryan De Palma is the same generation as like uh, uh, George Lucas, Francis Coppola, Scorsese. Actually, mm. the same... 80s. 80s yeah, same movies, guys. Yeah. Film school generation, they call it. And Untouchables is a, it's like a gangster movie. And uh, Kevin Costner is in it. It's, it's about Elliot Nest. Yeah, it's, to, the untu- it's the Elliot Nest and his boys, yeah. Yeah, and trying to bring down... Charles Arnold. Martin Smith and... I might be getting this other guy. It's a good Whatever. one. When you have time, you can check it out. <laughs> De Niro. 
I remember when that as Al Capone. Yeah, when that movie came out, it was new. When now it's like a classic. It's old. <laughs> yep, exactly. <laughs> you are talking about old movies, indeed. Yes. <laughs> yes. But anyways, um, well, when a movie you uh, grew up living through is old, that's something else. But anyway, talking <laughs> about history, I think an interesting point is that the guy who stood up and said the get their guns, the guy with the mustache and died. Uh, he was actually part of the 1905 revolution. Right. He, he lived hmm. through it. And uh, he was killed, I think, during Stalin's purge to get rid of anyone, you know, who might not be content, or at least say they were. Vakulin Czech, I think. I don't know how you pronounce that. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, that's it. His name's a bit hard for... Americans to pronounce, I think. I do my best. <laughs> it's probably not right. <laughs> <laughs> I thought that was a very interesting thing, though, that he was in this film, which is obviously. Oh, are you very... talking about the actor, or are you talking about the 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 real life person that he was based on? I think the actor who played the part. Oh, okay. I, I was confused because. Yeah. You know, in in the. Yeah, the actor who played this character okay. was part of. Oh, okay, cool. You know, and actually died. Um, I think not long out in the nineteen twenties. So. Yeah, mm-hmm. I, I think we ought to explain a little bit of that as well in terms of that historic context and why that's kind of relevant too uh, with the context of this. Yeah, it, it 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 was very profound to me to realize that this film the impact it was going to have on the Russian people oh, yeah. um, would be so powerful that yeah, that to the establishment, they could definitely, all the actors and the directors, everyone involved in making this movie could definitely be frowned upon. Oh, they certainly got swept <laughs> up in the, the uh, I don't know what you call it, but the, the ten- tentacles of history, <laughs> as it were. Mm. Um, so to give a little bit more context, this movie was, uh, I think shot, released 1925, maybe developed, I don't know. 1925. But, um, prior to that, so we know historically 1905, this event occurred that we just talked about, we gave the context of, and in 1917, there's this massive revolution where, uh, it was, I think it was Lenin who was leading the Bolsheviks. And also the Mensheviks. And so the, the, the disagreement between the two parties is essentially this. Uh, one party is like, you know, I just let it be. Like almost laissez-faire, sort of. Like let let everything evolve naturally. The peasants will eventually overtake everybody and things will be like mm-hmm. communistic in time. Don't, don't worry about it. Just let it go. Uh, so that's the Mensheviks. Now the Bolsheviks, which is the Lenin party, was like, no way, we want to revolution right now. We want to bring this change right now. It's got to be done right now. And so, like, this urgency, this pent-up, again, right. hundreds of years, like eight de- eight, eight centuries worth, it, it, you know, that's how they're viewing it, of course. You know, it's mm-hmm. like, this is our right, this is our thing, and we got to take it by, you know, right now, right now. And so that's, like, their, that's the whole thing behind their ocean. And that's, like, the battle that they had to duke out between, that's, I think that's the Civil War, I, I believe. So, like, the 1917 was a revolution that overthrew the monarchy, but and then it, it took another 
I don't know how many years. Another four or five, five, I don't know how many years, but uh, a certain number of years later, uh, for the Civil War to to, to, to sort, sort of uh, come to a, a final resting place, and then the, the Communistic Party took over, essentially. And then yeah, there, uh, Wikipedia has it down as uh, 1923. Right. That was, con- was considered the end of the... Right, so that's Russian only two Revolution. years before this movie came out, right? Exactly. And so exactly. what happened was, like, in that intervening time, there was a war uh, between... Uh, civil War... So after 1917, when the monarchs are gone, they're, they're trying to be more... They're, they're, now there's the government, there's a proletariat, there's all this Communism. structure. There's all this structure that's coming into place, an organization, the government, right. that's non-monarchy-based. Communism. But they, it was like, the of communism. It is, but they also like mm. wanted to be like, well, let's not go put everything in the hands of people yet. They, they want somebody to lead them first and kind of take them through everything, mm. and that's the fight. That, that was the cause of civil war. Between the Mensheviks and Bolsheviks, and right. which, which I gave the background on. So ultimately, uh, Lenin and leading the Bolsheviks finally defeated the other one, and that's essentially, you know, what led into the communistic Soviet mm. Union. Is it called Soviet Union? I think at the, the end. Soviet Socialist Republics was in nineteen twenty-two. That's what it was, yeah. right? USSR. The, yeah. That's right. And then it became yeah. the Union of Socialist Soviet yeah. Socialist Republics. Yeah. Yeah, and so that, and then that was that way until Gorbachev and, and that day, and then the, disseminated the walls and stuff like that. So, yeah, that and and that whole thing is based on the Karl Marx idea, at, at least mm-hmm. part Marxism, of it, maybe yeah. a big big part of it. Would you be able to describe Bob Marxism, or how would you quickly summarize what what he was about in terms of his ideals? I've only got a foggy memory, but I mean, Marxists uh, believe that the working man is the foundation of the society. Right. And so you need to take care of the working class. Right. And he, I think, it's so far as I know, he wanted that to be the ruling, like that would be the, the leadership of the economic and societal norms, I think, right? I, yeah, I mean, it, obviously, yeah. obviously I, I would have I would have some interesting conversations with him, but yeah. Uh, yeah. I mean, you know, we'll get off on a tangent if we start talking philosophy. Like, you compare that to Plato's philosophy, um, yeah. Republic, you know. Well, and, which he, I mean, he drew heavily on. All philosophers drew heavily on those. Yeah. But the point is, I'm trying to tie his uh, ideals into what. Uh, the Bolsheviks and uh, so the U.S. like the Soviet communism turn out to be, or their brand of socialism based on mm. Karl Marx. If that makes sense, I'm trying to tie it all together. <laughs> well, I think the film does a good job of illustrating that frustration you're talking about—that long built-up frustration when the crew on the ship finally rebels. Yes. They yell things like, down with the monarchy. This is, Lily, kind of like, um, you know, 9-11 happens, and they make a movie about 9-11, which I think they did. I think it was United 93 or something. Somebody. Yeah, they've made a few of them. No, but not not, not like right away. Like, most of those 9-11 movies came at least seven or ten years afterwards. The first movie I remember was United 93. That was probably the first movie that was like, we're going to do 9-11. It was like, whoa, it's too soon. That's only mm. like a few years after, you know? Right. And so this Battleship Potemkin, 
I mean, if you think about 1923, 1925, that's only two years. A lot of, lot of wounds not healed yet. Yeah, I mean, yeah, so United Nine was, uh, was uh, 2006, only five years after. That's probably the first one. There's major. And I, I remember feeling pretty eerie about that myself. The 93, United 93? Yeah. yeah, it was directed yeah. by Paul Greengrass. And I mean, so, I felt like, man, that's that's rude to the to the to the families, to the loved ones. Right, and that's but, five years. Imagine two years after yeah, whatever. Yeah, exactly. And so that's what happened with Battleship Potemkin is that this was made in a time two years after all of that civil war and arrest is done, yeah. and they're now finally fully installed into this Karl Marx idealism, mm-hmm. ultimately. Exactly. And. Uh, so yeah, so that's kind of the context of what, where I mean, the, the movie is situated, when, you know, when when they're, you know, making this, showing this, and distributing this, you know. Yeah, I mean, France and the United Kingdom, United Kingdom, I think, banned this movie until like the nineteen forties. But not initially, though. <laughs> In the beginning, they were like, "Oh, it's a really good movie," you know. Mm, interesting. <laughs> yeah. Um, it is ranked as like one of the favorites by like Charlie Chaplin, for example, or I think it's Chaplin's favorite movie. And uh, who's somebody else? His contemporary, I forgot now. Maybe Fairbanks? No, I'm guessing. That. I don't know. There's some other people too, and they're just like, this is amazing. And even like in Germany at that time, the rise of the uh, the Nazi party, uh, Goebbels was about to take over. The German film industry, and he was viewing this movie. Like, oh, this is amazing! <laughs> mm. One of the best ever. Until uh, Eisenstein was like, "I don't like you guys," and he was like, "Oh no, you don't like <laughs> me? Well, I'm not gonna like you." And then he started telling all the SS officers to not watch the movie because <laughs> he was like, "I don't agree with your ideals." <laughs> so there's a lot of that happening uh, throughout, and that has led over the years um, to just multiple cuts of the movie. So when they're trying to show this in Germany, they had to censor the violence. It's hmm, the, no kidding. Yeah, well, because remember, this is 1925. Oh, this was this is yeah. It's, this it's, was pulling no punches. I'm yeah, telling you. I mean, considering mm-hmm. uh, it's kind of laughable now, but like back then, to show people getting shot, babies, kids, exactly. everybody dying, like exactly, like, that's a little uh, out there for a, 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 a you know exactly. early era film. It's a, a little woman, bit like a woman getting shot in the eye yeah. and being shot with her child in her hands. It's it, just brutal. And that's tying in a little bit to Hexen, which is like around the same time, I think, 1920, 20, 22. Yeah. Like, think about it. Like, so much has happened in just 20 years of the history of movies. <laughs> like, the first 20 years that they were pushing so much envelope just then and there and that's why it's one of my favorite arrows of films right is that with this movie and that they didn't make all these rules yet yeah and they were like they're gonna show stuff as if it was today yeah with their technology that they have Hmm. you know so it's like it's amazing how much they've done even just by like the 20s right especially 1925 and so anyways um and if you watch the movie, it's like it was shot like yesterday. It's the the technique, the technology, like just the not the technology, but the the, the film. The filmography, yeah. Yeah, the film language. The camera work is great. Oh, it's like it's like a modern movie. I mean, yeah. 
it, it, it doesn't show you that it's this amateur person who's just starting out. And the True. reason is because, again, it's a propaganda movie. And propaganda movies is presenting a specific point of view, trying to tap into your emotions, trying to elicit something. It is using this medium to communicate something so almost primal. Right. Now, there was a scene that made me laugh, although I'm not sh- I, I had to debate in my head whether that was supposed to be funny. Um, where, where the priest on the ship took out, you know, had his cross in hand and he was trying to address them. But then there's a close up of his face and he kind of does these little eyebrow things like to the audience, like, like it's sort of like an inside joke there about they're not listening to me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And I'm like, I'm like, it almost made me laugh. Like, was that intended to be funny? You know, like he looks right at the camera and raises his eyebrows like, see? <laughs> yeah, it's, uh, it's a little bit of wink, wink. And I'm not exactly. sure. Exactly. Yeah, I'm exactly. not sure what he was about. I'm not sure. Uh, also, I don't know if it was comedy, but he fell down the stairs and he was pretending to be out because when people were running by him, it showed him like, wake up, look around and like pretend to be like asleep again. Yep. Unconscious. Very interesting. Well, I think if you if you know the if you know sort of the background of sort of the communistic ideals, uh, religion in general does not play well mm. with communistic ideals. And that includes mm. like communist China and also not the, the the obviously the Soviet communist ideals. And so because essentially the the quote-unquote god they're supposed to worship is the communist party ideals right right like that's right. who you're supposed to drink the kool-aid from and mm. so like you're not so that i think if possibly i'm just i don't think i've read anything about the priest actually in interview, but anyways so my conjecture is that uh that the reason the priest is shown as a buffoon essentially in the film is that religion really has no place it in seemed the, like that to me that they were sort of making fun of it. Oh yeah, yeah absolutely. I think mm-hmm. it's because it's like in the. He looked like something out of Rashomon too. I mean, yeah, like big furry hair, head of hair. And, well, I didn't know if that was supposed to be a joke about the director's hair kind of being crazy like that too. That's oh, what really? I. Yeah, he had hair sort of like that. It was very bouffant and big. So I was like, is that a dig mm. at the director? Right. <laughs> it, mm. You know what I mean? He's doing a wink, wink, nudge, nudge. But I. Um, I agree with the religion part, though, too. They didn't believe in all that, what he was offering. Yeah, usually it's uh, atheist, atheistic. If you I are, mean, it was, com- it was almost comical as well when he fell on the stairs. The, the cross stuck in the floor like it was a shuriken. I mean, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, Whoa, what was this <laughs> pointy-edged cross there? I do, though, I have to point out that I wonder if there are a little bit, tiny bit of, uh, German influences on that priest specifically, just the makeup mm. and the context. A little bit. He looks a little like Marx to me as well. Yeah, it's 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 just so interesting. Some of the things are are there, but uh, but I'm sure there's a point of him in it. Obviously, otherwise he would have been taken out, right? There, there's something in there that he wants to communicate. Well, the last I think the last scene they had him in was when he was pretending to be unconscious. Yep. <laughs> He was a non non actor <laughs> yeah. in this whole event of the uprising. <laughs> oh, 
Although he did say something. What did he say? He said, you should have listened to me or something, or... I forgot what he said. Something to that effect. He was like... Um, I, I can't remember. Something to the effect of God... Let's, let's not fight. God doesn't approve of this, you know? Something like that, yeah. It, 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 essentially, it's like, we're just going to ignore this bunch of nonsense, essentially, is kind of what mm. I get out of it. <laughs> so... But it's interesting that he did show up, right? That there was a it was it was a, he was an interesting character in the movie. That's yeah. one of the things that caught my eye. Yeah, but it makes sense if you put it in the uh, Karl Marx uh, uh, thinking context. Then it makes sense mm. that he is what he is in the movie. Um, yeah, so um, I guess we can kind of go through it. But do you have any other uh, points you want to point out, or you kind of we can kind of jump around? I thought it was very interesting and profound, and I wondered about the historical accuracy of them taking the the main characters, um, the main uh, protagonist's uh, body, putting it in a tent and leaving the sign on it for the town to find, saying he died over a cup over a plate of soup. Oh yeah, that's definitely dramatized. Uh, although there was an actual, they did have a memorial service. The problem mm. is that Odessa was on fire, and so mm. the service would have been like in ashes. <laughs> huh. the 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 uprising slash revolution was happening in that port town was so dramatic that the people, um, like, burned the whole port down. It was literally wow. infernal on fire, and so by the time they got there, like everybody was kind of with them. And by so time, Pope. By the time Potemkin actually arrived. That's what I'm saying. Yeah, so when they get there, they're like, everybody's on their side. And so when they're talking about, I don't I don't think that there was a specific body, but it, the the fact right. was uh, the mutineers, as it were, now they're in charge of the ship, right? Right. So they, uh, that's actually where they flew the red flag, not later on when the flag was meeting the other ships. Right, exactly. So that's, that's the time that the red flag was actually flown but uh, Odessa was like infernal on fire and then uh, a lot of the riots there's so much riots that um, anyway so the funeral the main character Bakulinchuk whatever his 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 funeral essentially turned into a political demonstration Mm. so Mm. then the army tried to stop sort of the sailor and the people who are attending the funeral and so that's and and then the ship fired at a uh, theater where the other sort of high military officials were scheduled to meet or something, but then missed. So like some of those were real, uh, but the actual sort of outworkings that in the film was not. Real. It's it's uh, it's created to again make a point to communicate to the people um, to elicit something, right? Mm-hmm. So they're they. It, that's the point of the propaganda movies. <laughs> so, so yeah, it's not like a hundred percent the same as the historic event. the The beginning parts is very similar. Like the when the drama on the deck is pretty much there. The reason they covered the tarp over the people, the because they want they don't want the blood to to um to get everywhere. less mess, easier to clean up. That's exactly right. <laughs> so when they put that That's over awful. them. All the people knew what that meant. So. Right. And then, uh, yeah. 
But, uh, and by the way, the ship that they shot the movie on was another ship that uh, ended up uh, chasing Potemkin down years later after the mutineers. And, uh, right, but by the time the film was made, Potemkin had been disassembled. Yeah, it's gone. It's recycled. Right. <laughs> so, but I found it interesting that they shot on a ship that was was uh, chasing Potemkin. <laughs> yeah, it's very interesting. It's very interesting. It's paradoxical, ironic, maybe, or I don't know. But, uh, a little irony. Yeah. But, you know, the thing I have to stress about this movie is, other than the historic context and the point that he was trying to make, it's the way he did it. Like, the technique, the technology, right. the, the, certainly the montage is big. Um, I don't know if he's the first one to be the montage. There have been other movies who, who have done montages, too. Um, even the movie we watched, there's little bits of that, you know, montages elsewhere in other movies. Uh, not the whole movie, and certainly not as much, I think, intensity as this movie. Um, and also, uh, he's done at least one or more other movies before this, called Strike. So it's kind of his trilogy. There's like a Strike, Potemkin, and then there's another one called uh, October, for the October Revolution. So there's like a pretty much all propaganda movies. Hmm. So, and then later on, he's done more historic epics like uh, Alexander Nevsky and uh, Ivan the Terrible. Mm-hmm. So I've seen all those. Mm. I think Nevsky is actually the one to beat. It's it's really epic and and really incredible. Um, it's less propagandistic. I mean, that's definitely still there, but it's more epic, like in nature. But anyways, getting back to Potemkin. So, were there any anything else that you uh, that popped out at you? We can kind of jump around, I guess. It's kind of where we're going. I <laughs> know. Uh, um. Kind of just kind of what we were talking about. Just you know, commentate com our commentary about how well it was shot. I had written down, you know, how their panning shots were incredible and, you know, people were coming for miles to see mm. and pay respects Velunchuk's body. Mm. Um so that I really like that shot. Oh yeah, that's not CG, right? That's literally the That's not CG <laughs> thousands of people walking. Yeah, it was amazing. <laughs> when you have the state backing you, you can get hundreds of thousands of people walking. Up to the the camera, no problem. <laughs> mm. But there are other just great parts to this film in respect of, you know, they he filmed um, them stirring a boiling pot. And, you know, mm. you can tell. And with the intercutting, you can tell that it's the men slowly starting to boil and, you know, go nuts. <laughs> oh, yes. That's that's the, the mm. lovely nature of Symbology. the guys. Yeah. Yeah. The this the food they they were eating is the um, it's called borscht or something and it's uh, if you guys looked into it it's kind of like a beet soup it's reddish in color mm. and it's got like it's a little bit like uh, pot uh, pot roast a little bit not really but it's like you can put any meat you want in it uh, it could be seafood as well but it's like primarily beets that and also just vegetable stuff. Like carrots, onions, you know, whatever vegetables you really want in it, and that's that's the that's the soup. <laughs> it's kind of like pot roast-ish beef noodle soup or something. 
And I think they serve it cold. Maybe that's why they were mad. <laughs> well, it's really about the maggots. That's the whole. Yeah, that was bad. <laughs> that was really bad. Yeah. And by the way, those shots are incredible, right? Like the whole. Oh, that was wild. The 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 monocle uh, magnifying yep. things and the the close-ups of the 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 maggots in the meat yep. and just yep. all of that technique. Yeah, I was Im- I was impressed by that definitely. Yeah, all of that is. I mean, the whole movie. Uh, even if and you like, stripped out all the propaganda, just the actual technique and just, again, the film language is incredible. And that's yeah, I like the directorial touch of when they threw um, the ship's, um, looks like second command, maybe the ship's doctor is talking about, they're not worms, they're, they're maggots. Oh, that's treat the doctor. The meat. Yeah, that's the, yeah doctor. the doctor. Simply treat the meat and then cook it, you know? The brine. And, yeah, <laughs> yeah. And, um, and when they threw him overboard, they they did a shot of his glasses sitting on the deck. And I yeah. thought that's a nice touch, you know, saying he's gone. His glasses are still there, but he's gone. You know, it's like, <laughs> yep. It, it it identifies the character because you remember he's the one inspecting the meat, so it just makes it clear to the audience. Now he's the fish's warm food, right? Yeah. <laughs> <Ooh>. <laughs> he yeah. <laughs> I couldn't understand this until I read it, but. They were eating like the canned food and also like um, the uh, bread and butter. I, I, I couldn't quite understand what they were doing by not. I understand they didn't want to eat the meat. They had then, canned food in the in, in that era. Yeah, they were uh, they were exchanging canned canned uh, stuff huh. and also okay. eating bread and butter and stuff. I, I didn't realize like what that scene was about until. I read about it and it's like, oh, that makes sense. And so that all those extra scenes when the the, the cook and the and then the uh, commanders were like looking through and be like, nobody's eating this in the background and montage. I guess there's uh people just exchanging sort of you know the out of the the, the pantry uh, cans and also bread and butter and they rather eat other things than just. Mm the actual meat <laughs> just to get exactly. back so would i yeah yeah so and it's not so much of course about the meat or the maggot it's just the fact that that's how they were treated it's just their right. garbage yeah the, so. the commanders on the ship the officers were obviously dramatized as being quite uh, nefarious right. <laughs> they were they were downright sinister oh yeah Yeah, uh, that's again part of propaganda. Yeah, is it's the view that you're trying to get across. So let's, um, I guess, take that final pass so we can take specifically on Odessa steps because this is the best known. Even though I feel like the rest of the movie gets shortchanged, like. We know the Odessa steps are amazing, but also it's kind of short. <laughs> if you look at the the the, I don't know, I didn't time it, but it's I think it's wedged as a Act Four. Like that timing sequence, it's kind of short relatively compared mm. to the rest of the movie, which had a point to make, obviously. And so, but it obviously, it gets the most mm-hmm. uh, applause, I guess. But I feel like the entire movie. From a 
film language technical perspective does does deserve that applause. It's clearly the climax of the film. It and is. The, mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. I mean, they've got the they've got the soldiers at the top of the stairs, and then the Cossacks ride in from the side, and which is pretty much got them trapped in a real event. It's a it's a kind of a montage, as you if you will, of other real life events. It's a collection of uh, real life events that happens yeah. like at night and people and so the director's father is jewish the mother is swedish and so there's a line in the movie where it's like let's blame the jews and then like they all yeah yeah i thought that was just thrown in there i was everyone was so mad too there's a personal stake in there (laughs) i took that very seriously when he said he was laughing at the whole controversy that the character yeah and he's and he was one of the officers and he says yeah it's it's the kill the jews and they all turned because I think they heard they they were it was like them saying we know that political game already you know like like you're not fooling us with trying to divert blame. Mm. And part of the historic context behind that is because uh, around this what well, the sequence of the Death of Steps is based on is because a hundred estimated two hundred two hundred ish Jews thousand Jews were killed. Um, by people who are just angry and then blame uh, them, the people, as a scapegoat. Mm-hmm. So in the last, like, two or three years before this event, the 1905 uh, uprising, there this unrest. And so it's historically relevant that he put that line in there. Exactly. And to, to put that whole crowd into context, that it's not the Jews or any specific people, but rather it's the government and it's the oppressors. And so it's, like, almost change your anger against not just the people specific groups of people but direct it at the proper i guess uh like authority figure you know that's the one that you should bring down you know yeah. because it, in the movie certainly or desasseps it's like a machine like it's they they don't really show the soldiers faces Actually, yeah. the whole movie. There's no. That's that's what it was. There's no main character. There's no like hero. The the hero is the peoples, right? And so hmm. it's all about like, like even the uh, the the Valen, like even those two main uprising characters, like in the beginning, yeah. they're all like they're part of a mass group. They're not like the superheroes, as it were. There's yeah. no single heroes. That that whole nature of it was very good that you pointed out that they weren't really showing the soldiers faces because they were dehumanizing them they were showing that they were very much like robots marching forward killing the woman holding her child you know and it reminded me of the speech that chip chaplin gives at the end of the great dictator oh yeah talking about don't be machine men with machine hearts and i could see this movie influencing that line by Chaplin. Well, certainly. <laughs> That's certainly true. I know that is a really interesting take since you brought it up because I didn't realize they didn't show the soldiers' faces until you mentioned it. And that really does make quite an impact. You know that we often think of uh, propaganda movies is just stuff that uh, happens outside the United States. But what you don't realize, or if you know or don't know, but in U.S. they did have propaganda movies too. 
<laughs> during um, could, World War II, I think. Sure, they consider a lot of movies today, I mean, today that are being made currently as propaganda. Yeah, because a lot of people, yeah. you know, are very wary about Hollywood directing the minds of the public yeah. through movies. So, But let's rewind a little bit. Like, even like World War II, William Wyler, he, he was definitely had a number of gung-ho movies or like... You know, support war bonds and stuff like that. Right. There's a ton of those movies around that era. And uh, I can't think of any before that. But um, but certainly during the war, in order to support war efforts, a lot of filmmakers, whether they were in the war themselves as journalists slash filmmakers, or like, you know, Wyler, like he made a ton of movies trying to drum up support, public support to put money in the coffer so that their the war could machine could you know could uh could move forward. So it's not like anyways, propaganda movies is not restricted to outside the US is the point. Because we often think of it like like that, at least I do. But it's actually yep. the United States has had a history of it. Oh sure. So everywhere. Yeah. But you're right. A lot of people block out things that they don't want to see. Right. It's like, like oh. pain and negativity. Yeah. Yeah. We have yeah. them too. Oh yeah, absolutely. We, we did. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, the, uh, cause, um, there are like, I was just reminded of, um, cause, uh, Kurosawa, Akira Kurosawa is one of my favorite directors, and he himself even did a uh, propaganda movie for the Japanese Empire before they lost, you know, in the World War Two. They were, right. there was this rara. Forgot what it's called now. It's blanking on me. But there's a so there's a lot of filmmakers in the history uh, of film history itself is it's just you know sometimes they they might believe it. I think uh, Kurosawa might believe in a little bit of it too, and they'll make it. But then some of them are almost drafted into making it, and they don't really yeah. believe, but they still have to make it. Yeah. Uh, because you need, like, um, well, I don't know. I don't have an example of that, but there, 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 there's probably examples of that out there. Um, but yeah. So after this movie. Uh, I just got I just I got invited to kind of all over the world to try to make movies elsewhere and I think that was one of the points of contention with Lenin was like hey you if you belong to Mother Russia you should come back rather than spending all this time elsewhere and and he was spending a ton of time elsewhere from you know US to Mexico meeting people like Frida the artist and all that stuff. If you want a strong, um, almost reverse propaganda influence in American film, it would be McCarthy and his blacklist. And oh, yeah. The Hollywood blacklist. Mm, because absolutely. the House Un-American Acts Committee was definitely trying to steer Hollywood away from doing films that challenged the establishment. Yeah. Because they were... Because they said, well, are you doing this because you favor communism? Communism? Yeah. You know, that whole that whole dark uh, chapter of Hollywood history and 
politics is pretty awful. Yeah. The Aaliyah Kazan was, uh, and Chaplin and many others targeted. Even, even, uh, as you said, was, I mean, he died before that whole thing got started really, but the roots of that, the anti, I guess, uh, communistic ideals were definitely there. The Red Scare. Yeah. And so when he tried to make a movie in the United States, because he was, he, he was invited by all the other luminaries to try to make a movie because they're like, this is great. And then I think some movie studio tried to make a contract with them. And then the government was like, uh, no. <laughs> it's like, mm. that's not happening because <laughs> they're so against... Uh, I guess fearful, you know. It would be interesting yeah. if, you know, history turned out different. Like, if we actually accepted these people and allowed them to make these movies, that they would kind of immigrate, you know, from Russia to here and kind of make movies here rather than being under the auspices and strong arms of, you know, that regime. You know what I mean? Mm. You certainly see a lot of that uh, from the German filmmakers uh such as uh even uh fd Murna. i mean he died young but uh ernst lubish right i think sturgis i can't remember there's a bunch of uh fritz lang is another one there's a bunch yep. of um uh german directors who escaped you know Nazi germany's rule in that regime and then came over here to make some of the greatest movies like ever made you know mm. <laughs> so but that's uh yeah. That's like a wish fulfillment, I guess. <laughs> yeah. So, but anyway, so that's kind of his, the rest of his life story. He traveled around the world, met a bunch of artists and stuff, and tried to make movies until he came back to Mother Russia, and they gave him some funding. And then he, Eisenstein, he, that is? Yes, Eisenstein, sorry. Yeah. And then he ultimately made uh, Nevsky, Nevsky, and also Nevsky, Ivan which the Terrible. Which I have yet to see, but I look forward to it. I don't think that's a silent one <laughs> but uh, oh okay you can try to catch on it's it's one of the things i was anyway we'll talk about that later so like i thought it seemed a little late it was in the 30s so. yeah yeah so by then things are are quite different but um but yeah so this is certainly one of the greats and uh i feel like you could just do hours on just the technique and, and the and the angles and all that stuff I feel like I did a lot of that last week with Nasrat too, so it's like <laughs> pull back a little on this one. <laughs> yeah, just talk about. We learned the a theme. lot of history though about the beginning of the film, at least, so that makes a huge difference altogether. I feel like. Yeah, I, I think that's the thing for me is like I could zoom in on the, the technical aspect, but I think the thing I wanted to learn out of this movie was the historic context of why it was so significant and why it was so impactful. Not just to Russia, but also um, the world, and when it was shown elsewhere, that people why they were so impacted by it, right? And certainly the the, the film language and, and the sort of engineering behind it is tremendous. But I think the notion of um, an oppressed people, uh, you know, wrestling control away from the oppressors and gaining freedom. Uh, is a kind of a universal theme. Yes. Even though mm -hmm. it doesn't play out 
the way that's why I wanted to talk about the context because it's not exactly supporting that specific ideal, even though a lot of international audiences will read it that way, right? So if you didn't mm. know Russian history, it'd be like, oh, this is a movie like about freedom. <laughs> <laughs> mm. right mm. <laughs> so mm-hmm. that's kind of the point i want to make is like yeah so this movie is about freedom right <laughs> but the reality mm. is it's a propaganda movie for not truly freedom it's for a right. yeah. form of government that is kind of different right anti-oppression rather than freedom yeah i also wrote that no one's safe from war or battle whether oh, you're yeah. a child or an old woman mm. yeah certainly that's uh yeah that's more as hell. Like the harshest thing is during that sequence, you know, that uh, Odessa sequence. So it's a, it's a actually a good lesson, really, that the film is teaching in that respect. If people can mm-hmm. draw that from it, because war should always be the last resort. You know, diplomacy has to have every chance. Right. No, I agree. It's. You know, it's horrible, you know, and every, everyone's affected, whether you're the soldier or the victim. Yeah. Yeah. And, and for generations. Um, yeah. And you know, just the whoever's involved in it and in, in other countries that aren't even in the war. I mean, just it should be avoided. It, it's it's a it's a horrible thing to think that there are people out there who talk about war so casually, especially people who have the ability to influence the wars. That is, mm. they, yeah. I think I think there's a good a good point you brought up. I hope viewers, when they watch it, our listeners will note that too. <laughs> yes. Actually, I had a, I don't know if this is a social commentary. I was very surprised to see the man with no legs. Mm. Um, I don't, you know, you don't know his backstory at all, but I just thought it it was kind of one of those jarring things. You're like, oh my goodness, you know, right? He's paralyzed, so or not paralyzed, but another sign par- of what they had been through before. Yeah. So it was kind of in that respect a a nice take. And bringing him into the film to, you know, also show that propaganda. But I'm sure he was a survivor. Well, we don't know. Maybe he was just born that way. But he could have been a survivor. And that's what he has to deal with for the rest of his life. Right. I would think that that's the reason they put him in, though, is because you more than likely assume, the the audience would assume he was the victim of a previous war. Hmm. It's really hard to tell either way. But uh, the other, now that you guys are talking about this, the close in zooming in more, and, and now that I remember more, is that the it was a group of, I guess, women or other people. They're trying to reason with the soldiers. Right. I thought that was an interesting. They were very brave. They were like, "We're going to stand up. We're going to stop this because it's the right to stop it." Yeah, it, I thought that was an interesting notion that the, they thought that they could reason with the machine yep. or the soldiers. Yeah. Of course, then they got plowed over. So, You know, that's another aspect of what Lily just said about the man that had no legs, was it also showed the cruelty of the soldiers. He was another illustration of the cruelty of the soldiers because they were shooting someone who was obviously a threat to them. Right. 
Well, all mm-hmm. all of everyone on that step was essentially not a threat, so we're yeah. just mowing people down for uh... a crowd. Right. Well, I mean, a crowd can be dangerous, but yeah. those those examples—the women, the children, the the invalid—you know—it's yeah. like, man, you know, these aren't people who can grab a gun and or aren't going to grab a gun and go after them in general. I mean, today, of course, we have women in the army, and all, 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 all the more power to them. But <laughs> at that time, women weren't generally soldiers. No, you're right. I'm just thinking of that as well. I mean, if you're you're not going to attack a woman unless you're vicious, because you know back right. then women are though they're the daintier of the sexes. You know, they're right. innocent. I don't even right. know if you would put a child above a woman, but really, she's like the bottom of the totem pole, especially right. back in the day. Yep. So it's extra I mean, awful. <laughs> exactly. It was very good. It, it, it added, it, it greatly added to the drama of the steps scene because they were, he was smart to put in the variety of people and say, this is just a mm. crowd of people. Yeah. I do. I do want to highlight this. Now that I remember this scene more, it's only a couple of days ago I see it, but uh, there was this particular shot. Where the camera was tracking almost like on a track or a wheel or something. Yes. Oh, going down the steps? Or yeah. Up, up and down. I don't understand how that was done. That was unless, remarkable. Unless it was on a track. It's got it to had to be a, on a track. They put a track on the stairs. They had to. Yeah. That it, was, it's a uh, an incredible shot for a 1920. It was great. Movie. Yeah, it really was. It was stunning. But I mean, there are many shots like that in this movie. I remember like, thinking. And feeling wow, <laughs> yeah, yeah. He essentially was like, "I want to get the shot, no matter what it takes," and just did it, you know. And, yeah. Uh, and they didn't have um, what do you call that? The drones or <laughs> those things back then, and he just did it. So I, that's why, again, another added another reason why I love this. Illusion yeah, of this they era. must have had a camera on a track being held by a rope and letting it out on a crank. To go with the baby carriage—that's it's just remarkable. The, the 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 gumption, the the chutzpah, the you know the, <laughs> the whatever you want to call it—the the ability to think, uh, you know, so far outside of what is normally was a stationary, primarily uh, camera back then, and then to make all these incredible shots, mm-hmm. and uh, even without the montage, the way he frames the shots is incredible. It's all there's always something. In the foreground, contra- contrasted against background, and that's one of the masters of, you know, filmmaking is like, if you can put something in the foreground, in background, and contrast both, to deliver a message, that's that's your end, you know. Mm. And he does that so well here, across many scenes, really. So, all right. Well, any other parting thoughts before we uh, wrap up today? For not, it. Yeah, for not knowing this film, I knew about the Odessa Steps, probably mainly the baby carriage. That was the only scene I had probably seen once before. So it's just another one of those, oh, what's the movie about besides propaganda? Not to mention it's been redone a whole, in a whole bunch of films. Oh, yeah. But that's all I got. <laughs> All right, and you, Bob? Any rap? My thoughts are pretty complete. Cool. All right, well, yeah, uh, 
certainly one of the greatest uh, silent films of all time. It's often on many, many people's lists, uh, many, uh, you know, published, well-known journals, journalistic uh, papers out there and all that stuff. Um, but after, you know, I've seen it a few times almost 20 years ago and now revisiting it, I, one thing, again, it, I didn't realize was just the historic context but knowing the historic context really is everything I think for this movie because without that context you can say it's a technically well made movie but then if you don't understand what the themes of what the so the propaganda is trying to communicate then I still think you can just get lost in it you know what I mean you could still say like it's a well technically made movie but you're like eh on the theme Unless yeah. you unless you know what the context is, yeah, you know? lose a lot of depth. That's what I mean, and so, and that's the thing about like some of these movies is like, and and you, I think we should do with anything when you try to view or enjoy something from history, is that you have to view it in the context of history. You know, like if you're reading, uh, you know, I used this example before in the in the early podcast, but. If you're if you're reading like uh, Homer's Homeric works of like Odyssey or what's the other one he did? Oh man, the Iliad. Iliad. Yeah, Iliad. I think you got to know some background about it. Otherwise, I mean, reading Cole's okay, but there's still going to be so many details that are going to get lost on you until you get. That's a lot to learn. It is, but I think it's going to help with enjoying that work. Right. Mm-hmm. It's the same thing with this movie. Is Battleship Potemkin, you can watch it in it, and you can enjoy the technical visual film language. It certainly has it in spades. It's incredible in certain shots, like the one we just mentioned, the tra- the Odessa stair tracking shots, and there's many, many shots like that in the film, uh, in and out. But ultimately, we don't view it in the context, which is, like, I guess the point I'm trying to stress this podcast is, it, it, a lot of things are going to be lost on you. And that, I think we should approach that for a lot of things in history too, right? Whatever we're reading, whatever we're trying to investigate in history, we always got to try to put it in the context of the time it was made in, right? I'll give you a practical example why that's important even now. So Disney Plus just came out. Again, this is the purpose of the podcast. This is Disney Plus. And so if you watch Disney Plus, there's a lot of old Disney works that's kind of just plain racist. <laughs> yep. So they put like a warning out there, like, "Well, you know, enjoy this work, but remember, back in the day, this was uh, that's what it, how how it was." <laughs> so they put like a they had to put a caveat before you start playing the the work. You mean like Song of the South? Uh, I, that's not even in there, but they took that out. But um, but things like that, mm. like there's I forgot which one now. There's there's uh there's the movie making fun of the. Uh, the Indians, or well, there's many movies. Think of them, but I think so. Yeah, that's one of them, right? But the red, there's something in the song about that. made the red man red. Yeah, yeah, so that's one of them. And then there's many works like that, right? Like, so the, that's the point I'm trying to make is that it's relevant even now, even today, even like affecting right now. As mm. you're enjoying this, you know, new up and coming, you know, what you think is family friendly Disney. And you're like, you you know, some people nowadays are getting so triggered. Like, exactly. oh, this is so offensive. Yeah. <laughs> I'm like, 
guys, yes. you have to enjoy this in the context of its time. You know, you can't right. take it out of the context and put it in the 2019 context. It doesn't work that way, you know. And and that's the point is is all these silent films we have to try to use sort of the the looking glass of the filter of like that era of time, but not the modern mm. era of time, right? Tricky. So, it is. It is. So, anyways. That's kind of my point. <laughs> yep, I agree. All right, so there you go. There we have it. Um, thank you, uh, Bob, and thank you, Lily, once again for uh, hanging in there, enjoying nice. in, uh, this uh, journey with me for uh, silent movies, and um, look forward to convening, reconvening next week again, and. Um, and thank you, listeners, for listening to us, uh, just talking about silent films in general, but also how to uh, enjoy the work using context. And that's pretty important, I think, even nowadays. And uh, for works of non- nowadays as they come out. And so if you like more of our stuff, uh, please visit watchingsilentfilms.wordpress.com. Again, that's watching silent films plural.wordpress.com and you'll find all of our social media presence and all the past uh, archives of things recorded. So once again, thanks everyone and we'll uh, talk to you again next week. Bye.